will stand together not because we look the same or we talk the same, we dress the same or we drink the same. We will stand together because of the one that we follow, the one that has saved us and the one who defines us. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. And here's our job then, is not to criticize or bemoan or envy. Man, I wish I had the freedom that he had. Or man, I wish that she had the limitations that I have. But here's our job to celebrate that in Christ we are different and yet we are one. This is Sozo Church. We're going to read out of Philippians chapter 1. We're going, to, we're going to close out the first chapter of Philippians by hitting these last four verses. And um, as you may know, Paul is writing to the, the Christians in the uh, church of Philippi. And uh, he is writing to them from prison. You've heard this before, but just a quick refresher for those who maybe have forgotten or missed it. He's writing to them from prison, and he's thanking them for their encouragement. They sent a, a representative from their church to, to bring some gifts to him, and he's saying, hey, thanks a lot. I'm sending this guy back. And that guy, uh, Epaphras or Epaphroditus, depending on the, the version of the Bible you read, he is bringing this letter back with him. And he's talking in this, uh, up until this point, Paul's been talking about his sufferings and he's been you know he's he's been persecuted he's talking about how he's in chains now he's talking about how to live as Christ and to die as gain and 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 he and he's saying hey you know don't don't be sad for me he said I'm doing well and the gospel is advancing but he's writing from a place of limitation he's writing from prison so he says this he, he does say he, he closes out the last section that you just studied last week he closes out the last section by essentially saying I think I'm going to be released I think God is going to release me but this is where we pick up he says but only let your manner of life, he's saying, he said, all that considered, above all else, listen to this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to just slow down there a moment because right there is a mouthful. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you, whether I am released or absent, what if I don't get released? No matter if I'm released or not, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, your lack of fear. For those who oppose you, when you show no fear, your lack of fear is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but it's also a sign of your salvation, and that from God. Wait, which one's from God? Their destruction or my salvation? Yes, both are from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 
It has been granted to you. Did you catch that? It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Thank you, Jesus. But also suffer. What was that again? It's been granted to you. That's actually amazing. This, this, the, in the original Greek, the original language where, uh, the, when this text was written, this word granted was, is, it's tied to the idea of a gift. I, I can't pronounce the word. I won't try to. It's charis something, but, but it's, it's, it's a gift. He's saying it's a gift that you get to believe in Jesus Christ. Man, amen, right? We can amen that one all day long. It is a gift that you can believe in Jesus Christ. And it's a gift that you can suffer. Thank you, Lord. More about that in a moment. It's a gift that you can suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Why don't we pray? Jesus, I pray that, that you would just simply show us your truth this morning. God, I thank you for what you have on your heart and your mind for, for this amazing church, this church with, with depth and with history and, and with now with new vitality and new faces and new vision. God, I thank you for what you have in store for your people this morning. God, I, I don't even know most of these people, but I love them. Lord, I love them because you love them. God, I'm glad I get to be here for this. And Lord, we are excited because we know you're here for this. Man, what a complete waste of time if you weren't. We know you're here. And God, we can trust you to speak. We can trust you to lead us through this. We can trust you to teach us. Far beyond this short, bald guy from Montana, God, we know you have something to say. Your word has something to say. So we want to open up our hearts to that. Will you just repeat this simple prayer after me? Dear God, I'm open to you. Please open my heart and open my mind to receive from you. I want to believe your truth. I want to understand what you speak to me. And I want to live in your truth. Thank you for your grace. For makes this, that makes this possible. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to get another drink of water. I dry out a ton when I preach because I just get so nervous. No, I don't know. I, I, I'm probably, I, I don't know what my problem is. I dry out all the time. And um, probably the most comfortable for, place for me to be is in front of a group of people. I think it's just one of those things that God did to slow me down. <laughs> all right, so uh, all the older ladies in our church, if you're an older lady, say, hey. hey. All right, so all the older ladies, thank you for admitting it. Uh, all the older ladies in our church tell me, you preach too fast, you gotta slow down. I'll do my best, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know if you can relate, but um, there, there have been times in my life when in an effort to get a lot done or, or get something done quickly, I've actually gotten distracted and made my job a lot bigger and more complex 
than what it originally was. Can anybody relate? I'll share a quick story. It's the easiest one I can think of, but I'm sure there are hundreds because I'm known for trying to do too much too fast, okay? So um, I, I remember several years ago, I was in kids ministry at the time, and uh, we were getting ready for a big kids uh, experience, a big kids event, and I had a couple guys with me at the church, and we were like pulling an all-nighter. It was probably two, three in the morning, and we're working on stuff. It was a Saturday night, and Sunday morning's coming, and we're prepping stuff for this big event, and, and part of the event was me like, on this last week, just before, was me drawing in as many many recruits as I could. We needed more volunteers. And so with this really fun thing I was going to do is I was actually going to hide in our baptismal, which was like built into our platform. And I was going to, I was going to remain there with snorkel gear all through worship. It was filled up and I was going to remain there all through worship with snorkel gear. And then when it was time for the announcements, I was going to jump out of the tank and surprise everybody because that was my... It's the best I can do is surprise people. You're like, after the surprise, I'm downhill from there. You know, it's like the, the introduction's great, and then you, you, you were wondering what it built to. But anyway, so, so here's the plan. I was going to surprise everybody and talk about how we needed this, we needed that, and hey, come join our big adventure. It was like this, it was like this uh, adventure theme, like a National Geographic theme. So here I was in my scuba gear and all that. So all of that is extra. I didn't even mean to say any of that. So here's what I was doing. In the middle of the night, I'm working on this project with two other guys, and I'm filling the back baptismal, but I'm like doing other things and checking in and checking out. And what I didn't realize is in my approach to multitask, I had forgotten to actually like check in often enough to see where was the baptismal in the filling process. And it was probably about an hour after it was full that I realized that I hadn't checked in recently. And I with much haste, (laughs) made my way to our sanctuary to find water all (laughs) over the floor of our church building on a Saturday, early, early Saturday morning. Wow, that was a, that was a bummer. I made it so much worse. I thought, I thought I had a lot to do. I thought this event was going to drain me. I thought I needed help. Oh man, did I need help now? It was, oh, it was bad. You know, I can laugh about it now. I was not, I was not laughing at the time. Uh, one of my wife's favorite sayings is if it's funny later, it's funny now. I disagree wholeheartedly. <laughs> It was not funny at the time. Actually, the more I think about it, it is hilarious that that happened. But, but it happened because I wasn't putting my mind on the main thing. Now, what was the main thing? Of course, I had to decorate some stuff. And yeah, we had to like plan out this lesson and all that. But when you've got water cascading over the edge of your baptismal and filling every aisle... That kind of seems like more the main thing. You know what I'm talking about? I see, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't putting the focus where it needed to be. And my job, my task, my workload became overwhelming in a hurry, in a hurry. And the reason I mention that is because when you look at this text, there's actually kind of a main point to the text. But there, there's something going on in this Philippian church that, that Paul is addressing 
Because he's saying, he's saying there's a point of what we're doing. We're here to advance the gospel and you've got opposition coming your way. And, and he's saying there's, there's this thing that we're called to as a church. We're called to, to, in good times and bad, we're called to put our faith and our focus on Jesus Christ and, 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 and we're called to continue and not give up and not give in and not get intimidated and not get scared by those who might oppose our, oppose our message. He's saying that's the main thing, guys. But then he begins to kind of lean in, and, and, and next week you'll go even further in this direction. He starts to lean in close and say, gather around, kids, because here's the deal. That's the main thing, but you, you know what? Other things could distract you, and other things could make your job a lot more difficult if you're not careful. Other things could, could make this get really messy really quick. Other things could overwhelm you. Other things could really mess this up unless you really pay attention. He says this. He says, whether I'm with you or not, here's what I want to hear. I want to hear that you're together. I want to hear that you're, you're united. I want to hear that you're one in spirit. I want to hear that you're striving side by side. This is what I want to hear. He says, don't get intimidated. You know, he says, he says you're going to suffer. And they're like, thanks again for that, Paul. And he's like, you're going to suffer for the name of Christ. By, by the way, it's critical. I'm, I'm not going to lean hard in this direction because I think your pastor did a great job teaching this the last few weeks. But he says, you are going to suffer. And in suffering, you can still have joy. In suffering, you can still have perspective. But guess what, guys? It's not just my suffering you're praying for, but expect it in your lives as well. You are going to suffer. Thanks, Paul. We, we get it. You know, enough of that. And he's like, no, 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 really. You got to know it's coming. But you can make it through. Check it out. If you're together. See, he puts this emphasis over and over and over, and it's going to even build in the next few weeks, guys. He puts this emphasis over and over and over on unity, on love, on like-mindedness, on humility, on together. He says, your job's going to get a lot harder if you're not together. You know what he says, actually? He says this. The reason he's writing the letter, do you remember this? He says, I have been in chains, and I have been persecuted, and, and I have been restrained, and, and all of that. But he, you know why he's writing the letter? To say thank you. Why? He said, because you have been together with me. He says, he says the suffering's going to come your direction, and you're going to have people oppose you. But you can make it through if you're together. You know why he's saying that? He's saying, the reason I'm standing strong is because you've stood strong with me. The reason I haven't given up, you've been praying, and you've been writing, and you've been sending gifts, and I need that, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's just, even in this first chapter, I mean, just real quick, there's three verses that, that, that make it, three statements leading up to this point in one chapter where he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He said, you stood with me. 
Philippians 1.7, he says this, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Again, you've been with me. Philippians 1.19 says, I, I know that through your prayers and the whole help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying over and over and over, he's like, I have benefited because you have stood with me. And it, and it wasn't just like this, this dutiful thing, you know, that's like, well, you know, better write a letter to my supporters, you know. It's like, if I expect another gift basket, better be nice about the last one, you know. Look at the way he puts it in Philippians 1, 8 and 9. He says, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So, so check it out. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's our job, guys. We, we've got to advance the gospel. Persecution's going to come and chains are going to come and oppression is going to come. But guess what? You don't have to give up. We can make it if we stand together. And, and in support of that, he goes back and he says, I've suffered, but you've stood by me. Checking out what he begins to then lean into, and, and they, they sense it coming, is he's saying, You've stood by me. You've supported me. You've prayed for me. How are you treating each other? I've made it through my suffering because of your support. How are you going to make it through your suffering? I think I'm coming back. I think I'm going to get set free. I think I'm going to be delivered. But what if I'm not? What if I'm not? Where will your support come from then? From Jesus. We will have the support of Jesus, each of us individually. Yeah. It's critical. That's first and foremost, right? But he says you won't make it without one another. Look at that primary text again. He says, this first and foremost, this is critical. That word only, right at the beginning, that first only. He's saying, first and foremost, above all else, I want you to, I want, want to let your manner of life, you need to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You're going to suffer. Jesus said, man, if they hated me, they're going to really hate you. <laughs> right? He said, no, no student's better than his teacher. If they persecuted me, expect it, it's coming. Thank you, God. What did I sign up for? Welcome to the family. You know, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're beaten. It's, it's, it's part of the process, you know. Sounds a lot like our family, actually. You're saved, you're forgiven, you know, you're loved, you're welcomed, and then you're beaten. You're beaten, you know, because, because we love you, we beat you. But <laughs> we don't, we don't. It's, it's a different process. There's communication, you know, there's discussion, there's hugs, yeah, so. But listen to what he says. He says, your suffering is coming. Your opposition, it's real. 
above all else, stand together. Stand together. More than anything else, here's what I want to hear, guys. I want to hear what, man, I hope I can come see it face to face, he says. But, but if I have to hear about it, man, that's good enough as long as I hear that you're together, that you're unified, that you're loving each other, that you're not just, check it out, it's an attitude and an action. Look at what he says. He says, um, where, where, where did he say? He said, he said that you're one in spirit with one mind. So he's like, there's an attitude there. There's a, there's a heart there. There's a, a, a realness, a vibrancy. But then he says, there's an attitude, but then there's an action. A striving side by side. It's not enough to just, you know, well, I love you with the love of the Lord. <laughs> My pastor tells, maybe he's told this story in this church. He tells the story about, of uh, when, when he was really young in the faith back home in Alaska. And um, their, the, their pastor <laughs> would have them stand up, and he would, they would, uh, and I think I've met you before. I can't remember your name, but I, George, George will you stand up with me and do something very awkward? Sure. So, <laughs> here. <laughs> so their pastor would have them stand to demonstrate the need for brotherly love and affection in the church. He would have them stand, and he's like, you know, guys with guys, girls with girls. <laughs> And he would have them stand, and this is going to be hard with a handheld mic, and hold both hands. And he said, look in each other's eyes and sing, I love you with the love. I don't even, how's that? <laughs> right? And he's like, can you imagine two grown men standing? He's like, it felt so weird. We'd be like looking around, trying to avoid eye contact. Thank you, George. Can we all give George a round of applause for being... So weird with me. Okay, so that's not love. That's just weird. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe you can do that with genuine love. You know, maybe you can, but doing that doesn't necessarily produce genuine love. It produces, you know, a lot of awkward glances. That's what it produces. Paul says this, I don't want it to just be an attitude. I want there to be action. I want you to be participating with one another, strategizing with one another, looking for ways to cooperate with one another. Right? And we say, yeah, okay, we know this stuff. We're Christians. We get it. That's okay. Okay. So, so Paul's saying, you're going to have opposition. There's going to be suffering. You're going to be trying to share your faith, and people are going to shout you down or mock you or make fun of you or say, oh, no, I'd rather not come to your church, and that hurts bad. That was kind of a joke, that one. <laughs> so, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe Spokane is a way rougher place. Than, well, I mean, Spokane is probably rougher than Great Falls. But, but, but the, I mean, by and large, I think we as the American church are probably still awaiting serious suffering. Right? I mean, can we all agree on that? You know? and, and, and maybe in your family, depending on the friends that surround you, maybe you have endured some really harsh criticism and, and some really harsh treatment. And, and so if you're in that place, I don't, I don't want to in any way belittle what you're going through. I want to say what, the, what Paul says, stand strong. What he said up to this point in this text, you can still receive joy. You can still look to Christ. You can still expect his blessing and his deliverance and, 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 and a perspective that, that goes beyond the here and now. Amen? So, so I don't want to belittle anybody who is going through difficulty. But check it out. I think as, as the American church as a whole, our serious suffering is still on its way. 
Probably the harshest treatment we endure is somebody who says, uh, what church do you go to? Well, that one's kind of weird. You got the guy with the earrings, right? You know, I mean, re- I mean, really, that, that might be the harshest thing we go through. Or, you know, if you invite me to church one more time, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop, you know, going to whatever. You know, like, like we just, we're, we're, I ran out of, I just totally, I had nothing more there. So that's why I stopped talking. Um, but look at what he does say. He says, you are going to receive opposition. It, actually, Paul told Timothy, he said, anyone who wants to live a godly life will endure persecution. In fact, I remember writing in my Bible, marking that and saying, man, do I not want to live a godly life enough because I don't feel like I endure enough persecution. There's some food for thought for some of you maybe. But he said, it is coming. Suffering's coming. Opposition is coming. Difficulty is coming. But stand together. Stand together, and not, not, just this, not just the thing you say, but really look for ways to cooperate with one another. Look for ways to strategize with one another. Look for ways to, to, to make sure, like, okay, is my heart wandering? And, 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 and then, you know, because he's got us up to that point, we're saying, yeah, we're Christians. You know, we, we know Jesus talked about love, and we should love each other. We know that. You know, we sing that song, and we gaze into each other's eyes, and we, we know we should love each other. But you know what he does? He gets really, he just kind of gets really mean about this because he throws in this other nugget that makes this so hard. Because if all I had to do was just love you, right? And just accept you and just agree with you, then it would be like, that's hard. But man, if, if, if Jesus said, all you have to do is just get along just love each other, just, then, then it's like, okay, I can do that one thing, I can focus on that one thing, I'm just going to love, but then he, did you notice he preceded that with saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, okay, let, let me explain where I'm coming from here, because I think that makes loving each other a lot more difficult, at least the way I look at that. Because when, when I, and by the way, there's, there's several scriptures in the New Testament that have almost identical phrasing. Live a life that's worthy of the calling you've received. Do you remember that one, right? So there's several verses in the New Testament that point to this idea that we are to, we're to, we're to, and the way I've always read those guys is we're to buckle down, we're to get serious, we're supposed to, you know, get rid of sin and, and look like a good Christian, right? And you, you read your Bible, and you pray, and you show up on time to church, and you bring somebody with you, by golly, right? So, so that's the way it, it's always been read to me. It's the way I've always received it. And, and man, now, now, if you tell me that's my one job... You know, suffering's coming and persecution's coming and opposition's coming. But you, you live right. You stand your ground. You look righteous and you go to church and you read your Bible and you know the issues and you know why your culture's evil and why you're good. And you, man, if that was my one job, I could do that one, I think. Don't. Handle, don't taste, don't touch. You know, you live worthy of the gospel. <laughs> if that was my one job, I think I could do that one job. 
In fact, the way I'm wired, guys, man, that would be the job I'd prefer. Enough of the love stuff. Give me the, give me the, the, the one where I beat people over the head with the Bible. I'll take that job. But you see what he does? He, he says, live a life worthy of the gospel. And love each other. What? You know why that's so hard? Let me tell you about my son Elias. Maybe I shouldn't have said his name. <laughs> You're not recording this, right? Um, so, our, our son Elias, he's, he's adorable. He's six, and he has been, because we just, he's six, we just had, he's our fourth child, we just had our fifth. So, he's been the baby for six years, right? So, oh, he's amazing, because um, cause he's the youngest child. I also am a youngest child, um, so I can really relate to his propensities. So, Elias got sick recently, and it wasn't like anything like life-threatening or anything like that, but it was sick enough to where we had to keep him out of school. You know, it wasn't like he, he didn't have any major coughs or oozes or pain or anything like that, just some, like, weirdness in the bathroom that I won't discuss to you with right now. But, so Elias is kept out of school, and, and it bears mentioning that he attends private school, but our other boys attend a public school, and then our girl is homeschooled, mostly because we're double-minded and unstable in all of our ways. But so, so Elias is in private school, and the boys are in public. The other boys are in public school, and Isabel's in homeschool. But but here's what happens: then is Elias's sickness forces us to pull him out of school. And, and his sickness just happens to coincide, really, just happens to coincide with spring break at the public school. So the other boys are home from school, and Elias is home from school, and Isabel, you know, she's homeschooled, so she never goes to school. And, and so here we are. That was a joke, but maybe there's enough homeschoolers. You're like, yep, that's about right. <laughs> so, so this is great for Elias because, again, he's got some issues in the bathroom, but besides that, you know, I mean, besides a random explosion here and there, like, he's good to go, you know? So our life is not slowing down, and he's not slowing down either. So it's like we're going to the park, and we're going hiking. And, and by the way, this just happens to coincide with cousin spring break, and so they're visiting from out of town, so it's like we're hiking and biking and partying at grandma's and all that. And guess who's along for the ride? Elias, except for... A brief trip to the bathroom every now and then. Elias is along for the ride, and he's loving it. It's great. It's perfect for Elias. But Israel is his older brother. Israel is eight, and Israel has a unique sense of disparity of treatment and privilege. I don't, I, so your kids... Your kids will pick up on this. I don't know if you've noticed this. Your kids will pick up on unfair treatment. You know, and it'll, it'll like some kids more than others. Some kids, depending on their age or their personality or, you know, their birth order or how unfair you are toward them. (laughs) These are the determining factors more so. So uh, Israel starts to pick up on this, like, wait a minute. When he was on spring break, I had to go to school and now I'm on spring break and he's on spring break too. 
there's this unfair standard. Like I had to work and I had to wait and I had to read and do homework and actually show up in class to earn my spring break. And he gets two of them, right? And he's not celebrating on behalf of his brother or even recognizing, check this, not even realizing this whole time his brother's actually sick. And again, weird things happening in the bathroom. Like, he's not remembering that. He's just realizing he's got freedom and he's got license. And I hate that. Now, Israel's a really nice boy. He's our redhead who's with us on this trip. So, you know, don't give him a glare after the church service. But he's a really nice kid. So it didn't, you know, end in fisticuffs and drawn blood and broken bones. It was more like a lot of tears and crying. and But his aggression came out toward his brother, who was receiving grace, who was receiving freedom, who was receiving license. And it just wasn't fair. Because if we had made the rule, you go to school and you do your work and that's what you do, then Israel would be fine. But if we made the rule, you also love your brother who gets spring break when he doesn't deserve it, then it just makes it that much harder. Because he had to go to... You hear what I'm saying? Let me. Here's the way this surfaces in my life. And it does, man. I know I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian, okay? But here's the way this surfaces in my life. Man, I just, I get competitive. And, and all, you know, like a lot of pastors maybe feel this way. They don't have to say amen or anything right now. But there's times, there's times when I see another church growing. And it's like, no, no, no. They're not growing because they're doing it right. And they're not growing because God's blessing. They're doing, they're, they're growing because they're compromising, you know, and they're, and yeah, they're wide, but man, they're shallow, you know, and <laughs> right. And, and, and it doesn't even have to be with a, like a guy beyond, I mean, with guys on our staff, you know, I'll, I'll see like, oh, um, Steve's sermon had more podcast hits than mine. Well, yeah, because old people like the way he preaches and we got more old people around than young, you know, it's like, I just like, I start to get competitive and I start to get, can I just be really real? I get carnal, you know? And I'm thinking, I just don't like, I just get selfish. I just get mean. And I, and I start to forget. See what, what Paul said is I, I do want you to live a life worthy and I want you to love each other too. See, if, if God just put in front of me, okay, your job is to pastor well and to do it right and don't cut corners and, and don't let your church get shallow and don't just appeal to the masses to bring in the numbers. Okay, I can do that. But then when I see another church growing and I feel like, oh, it's because they're not doing what God told me to do. Right? Or when I see a guy getting blessed and I feel like he, he, he got benefits that I didn't get. He had, he had financial backing that I didn't have. He had heredity that I didn't have. He had, he had gifting that I didn't have. Man, that just, you know, and I know God's saying, hey, just keep your hand to the plow. Keep working. Keep going. Keep loving me. Keep serving people. Yeah, I can do that. 
But then when he says, I got to love that guy too, can I just be real? That gets hard. But within our own church, like, there's times when, when you say, okay, it says live a life worthy. And what does that mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to examine my heart. And I, you know, I, I want to I grow toward Jesus. And, and I want to I grow in, in, in the ways that he wants me to grow. But at the same time, I'm seeing somebody down the row from me. And it's like, doesn't seem like they're growing the way they're supposed to be growing. Pretty sure if he was reading his Bible, he wouldn't be talking like that. Right? She wouldn't be wearing that blouse, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Can I hear a whoop? No, no, no. (laughs) See, if all he said was live a life worthy, I think we could all just live a life worthy. Or if all he said was, hey, be unified, be together, be as one. Then we could say, okay, eliminate the measuring and the standarding. We're just going to love each other. Just going to accept each other. We're just going to celebrate each other. But he says, I want you to do both. I want you to do both. And by the way, as mean as this can sound, I think there's actually a critical element that Paul gives us in another one of his letters that actually helps us see how this is possible. In 2 Timothy 2, he says this, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy. A lot of times when we think of living a life worthy, we think of holiness, right? Made holy. He says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be made instruments for special purposes. So he's now, he's comparing us as believers and followers of Christ. He's comparing us to plates and dishes and trash cans and litter boxes and things in the house that are used for a variety of reasons. And he says, you got your fine china and it's used for noble purposes. You got your litter box and it is not, (laughs) right? And he's saying... Those who cleanse themselves from the latter. So you, as a follower of Christ, you're not a dish, you're not a litter box, but apply this to your life is what he's saying. If you cleanse yourself from the litter box kind of life, he said, then listen, you will then be used as instruments for special purposes, made holy, made holy. What is holy? Useful to the master. Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So here's where I want to bring this to a close today. And here's where I believe this is actually really helpful. In answering that question, how do I love the people near me when it feels like we don't see eye to eye? You know, they, they dress different and they talk different. It seems like they interpret the Bible different. It feels like they, they're getting blessings when they don't deserve it. And they have joy when they should really have more conviction, you know. Or they have way more conviction and they should have more joy. And they, they, they seem so bottled up and they feel, it seems like they're defined and restricted by their their past and their definition of what it means to serve God instead of what's really real. And let's just get open and let's just get free. How 
Can we genuinely love each other when we have such a disparity, such, such a disconnect when it comes to the way that we see worthiness? How can we stay unified when we, we're not on the same page of what it means to be holy? Paul writes, he says, holy is useful to the master. Useful to the master. See, the way we normally evaluate holiness is do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Or don't grimace and don't get stuck in old traditions and don't cling to the yesteryear of Christianity. And, and, and sometimes, and, and I know this is a, an ongoing conversation in our church, sometimes the old can look at the young or, or, the, or the hard, young or old, the conservative can look at the more liberal and they can think, what's going on here? Or the, or the liberal can look at the conservative and say, get with the program, come on. But listen, what we tend to measure is the externals. Man, if that person stopped wearing that shirt, they'd be more holy. If they stopped using that word, they'd be more holy. If they, if they would just like smile every now and then, they'd be more holy. But again, he says, it's, holy's useful to the master. Who's useful to the master? The one who's available, that's not hindered. Whether it's by something they say or something they wear or what's on their face or not. The one who is progressively being drawn to the master. See, when we hear a message is coming and it's about holiness, we all get excited that the other people are going to hear how unholy they are. Oh good, I hope he hits this one. Right? Because we're thinking external. See, Mark and I have two totally different backgrounds. Raised in different homes. Different personalities. Different training and teaching. Different school systems we've gone through. Different churches we've been trained in. Different influences of music and and, and literature and different things. Different likes and dislikes. We're two totally different people. And so for us To look identical is impossible. For us to have even the same convictions about what to wear or what to drink or what to put on our face or our car or our 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 living room wall, it's it's impossible. God doesn't judge you based on the external, He judges you based on the internal of what you're willing to surrender to Him. What should you be willing to surrender to Him? Anything that hinders you from being useful? What hinders you from being useful? Anything that he identifies that you won't surrender. You see, let me just make this really, really practical. You see, the Holy Spirit, he works with each of us individually. And he begins to identify in person by person, heart by heart, that thing that you need to let go of. And when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, now it could be in your mundane, monotonous Bible reading that it begins to identify an issue and say, you need to forgive that person. You're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to unforgiveness. And that is hindering you from being useful to the master. 
but, but, I, but I never swear. I've never been drunk a day in my life. And I don't even talk to people who have. <laughs> but your bitterness is hindering the master from using you. You need to, as you're reading, or maybe you're in a small group discussion, or maybe you hear a sermon, or maybe you're just in the middle of worship, and you just sense through a lyric or through a line, the Holy Spirit begins to whisper something to you. I want you to stop drinking. Drinking's not a sin. For you, I want you to stop drinking. No, no, no. I, I know plenty of Christians that drink, and they, you know, they don't get drunk, and they don't take it to the extreme, but... The, No, 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 no. I want you. See, he works with every one of us differently. We can't measure and compare and rank ourselves based on the external. Here's the point. It's an internal work where the Holy Spirit is saying, I've got a different purpose for you. I've got a different plan for you. You're a different instrument than the plate or the spoon or the napkin over there. I've got a different plan. And you can't be shaped like the napkin or the spoon if, in fact, I want you to be a rake. And so I will not shape and fashion a spoon to look like a fork or a napkin to look like a lawnmower. I will, in fact, shape you the way you need to be shaped. And the way you know you're useful to the master is you're listening to the whisper. The whisper that you hear as you read his word. The whisper that you hear as you commune with him. The whisper whisper that you hear as a sermon cuts through your heart or a small group discussion begins to illuminate his truth. He'll spend a different message to Rachel and a different message to Mark and a different message to Ray and to Nate because we're different and here's our job then is not to criticize or 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 bemoan or or envy man I wish I had the freedom that he had or man I wish that she had the limitations that I have but here's our job to celebrate that in Christ we are different and yet we are one we are united in this not in the way we look in what we handle in what we taste and what we touch but we're united in this, in the one that we follow, in the one that we adore, in the one that we kneel to and bow to because he's the only one who can change our heart. What you might hear, gotta take a drink. (laughs) That's when it really gets hard. Right there when it's like, I just got just three more sentences, Jesus. No, biology wins. Okay, so... You see, you see, you see, I have no idea what I was saying before this. I talked way too much about the water. You see, we are not united in uniformity. We are united in love. We are united in love. It is critical that we understand, church, suffering is coming, persecution is coming, opposition is coming. We will stand together not because we look the same or we talk the same, we dress the same or we drink the same. We will stand together because of the one that we follow, the one that has saved us and the one who defines us. I want to pray For us, myself included, man, as I preach this, guys, I'm not delivering a message that I feel was just for Sozo Church, although I do. It was the text that was put in front of me for the week, but I I believe this. This is so critical for the Christian church to embrace as a whole. Can I end with one scripture that is so familiar that, that it almost has become a cliche, 
but it's at the heart of this. It's out of John 13. When Jesus said this, he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Well, that's not new. Well, man, it's got to be new. We got to keep it new. We got to treat it new. Because this, if we allow it, guys, it gets really old. He says, a new command I give you, you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by this. Do you remember I said there's a main job that we've got? Our main job is to share the gospel. Our main job is to show his truth. Our main job is to advance his kingdom. Our main job is to be witnesses of him in this earth. That's the, that's the one job we can't take with us to heaven is evangelism. Our main job as the church is to share his truth. But he says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you need it this late in the game, the title for this message is One by One. W-O-N by O-N-E. You see, this world will be one by one. By one Lord, by one Savior, being followed and adored by one unified church. Paul said, suffering's coming. Paul said, live worthy, be available. You're not going to look like a cookie cutter Christian, but I want you to be following the God that saved you. The worship team can begin to make their way back up and we're going we're to end this here. But I want to pray for us that we would do this, that above all else, we would love one another. Because if we don't do this, guys, man, our job gets a lot more complicated. It gets a lot more difficult. When we get distracted by other things, this can get messy really quick. When we get distracted by comparing, by measuring, by, by categorizing and grading one another, this job of, of sharing his truth of enduring and suffering, it gets far more difficult really, really quick. I want to pray for us that that would just simply not be the case. Will you stand to your feet with me today? Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful for your grace. By your grace, you've chosen that we can believe in you. By your grace, that same grace, you've chosen that we will suffer for you. But man, what a gift that we don't suffer alone. We don't strive alone. Just as Paul was fueled and financed by the church in Philippi, God, I pray that we would give that same fuel to one another, love and support and encouragement and grace, not just when we meet each other's standard, but but when we recognize that we are made useful to the master, each of us individually, differently, for a different job, a different task, a different vision, a different role, but we are all called to unity under the one Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us.